We're going to get right back into Exodus uh, 33. Had a great Easter weekend last week. Now we're going to get back into Exodus. We have this week, we have next week, and then one more week, and then we are done with the book of Exodus. We can put this uh, baby to bed, but it's been a great book. So if you're with me, will you guys please rise and stand as we honor God's Word. And we get to hear, again, God's Word for God's people. Exodus 33, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people from whom you have brought out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Verse 7, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called the tent of meetings. And everyone who sought the Lord would go to the tent of meetings, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his own tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, a pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend, when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. Is it not? In you, you're going with us, that we are distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see my face and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my, good, my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back but my face you shall not see. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this great passage in Exodus 33 as we see, as, a, as, as profound and as amazing it was for Moses and the people of Israel, it is even that much more so for us this morning. Lord, I just pray that you would bless everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in your ways, that we understand that we shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands in our lives. You shall bless us and it shall be well with us when we focus and are in relationship with you, when we dwell with you and your presence dwells with us, and we know it does because of what we celebrated last week, in you is the resurrection and the life. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. And thank you that we can know you and experience you individually and personally, just as Moses did inside his tent. In your name we pray, amen. Guys, go ahead and be seated. Well, first, thanks for already being honest with me about the movie thing, about you guys people bringing in candy into the movies, even though it's illegal. I'm going to have another question for you, and I need you to be honest. I need you to be authentic. I need you to open up and, 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 and share. Just be honest. Just be honest. Who in here, when they were young, was scared of the dark? Raise your hand and raise your hand up high. Hi, don't be, yeah, most of us in here. Most of us in here. This might become a shocker to you. Even I was afraid of the dark when I was a kid, all right? I was. Sometimes I would absolutely freak out when mom and dad, you know, put me in bed. They would shut my door and it would be totally dark. And even though my parents were just in the next room, their physical presence wasn't within, wasn't with me. So I was, I felt all alone. I felt scared. And all of a sudden, all my trophies in my room started like shift shaping, right? They started moving. They were changing in my mind at least, right? And so sometimes I would, I would, it was dark. I know my parents were in bed at this time. I would close my eyes and I knew my room and I'd walk to my room. I'd open my door so I couldn't see anything. And then on the count of three, I would open my eyes and I would sprint to my, to my parents' room and then I would sleep right next to them on their bed. Not on their bed, right next to them, next to the bed. How many of you guys slept in your parents' room every now and then growing up? Or is it just me? Oh, you snuck into our room and I didn't even know you guys slept there? All right, all right. But here's the deal. I did that because I wanted to be in their physical presence. Because it was in their physical presence that I felt secure. I felt safe. I knew I was no longer alone. And this is what we see in Exodus 33. Exodus 33 is all about the presence of God dwelling with his people. And here we see it's with Moses and even Israel. And they understood how important this was for them. That, 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 that they, they could go in the promised land, but if they would go with the promised land without the Lord, that they would be alone, even though there was two to three million of them. They would be scared. They would have no hope. And it's the same with us this morning. Without the Lord's presence in our lives, our lives would be alone. We would be scared and without hope. But again, as we celebrated last week, because of Jesus, because of Emmanuel, God with us in Jesus, He is not only with us, but He will never leave us and He will never forsake us. Therefore, we we constantly can feel safe, secure, and full of hope. And this is what we're going to look at in Exodus chapter 33. We're going to see the hope that we have when the Lord's presence is with us. 
So let's look at the first point. The first point in Exodus 33, we look at through verses 1 through 6. And first we see some bad news. The bad news is the Lord will not go. In Exodus 33, 1 through 6, it says the Lord will not go. Look at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, and you and the people whom, you have, whom I have brought up out of Egypt, the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Termites. Oh, no, Termites aren't in there. I've used that one once or twice, huh? All right. Verse 3, go up, hard, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. And what we see here in verses 1 through 3, and then also 1 through 6, is the Lord tells Moses to tell something to the people of Israel. He says, Moses, tell the people of Israel, I'm still going to bless them. Remember, we, in Exodus 32, they, just, they were just in idolatry. They worshiped the, the golden calf. And they were, they were rebelling against God's commandments and what God commanded them to do. And they, okay, they broke the covenant. And yet, here we see God still fulfilling His promise. He says, I'm still going to give you the land. I'm still going to take you to the promised land where it flows with milk and honey. That means it's going to be full of blessing, full of provision, full of abundance. And not only am I going to give you the land still, Israel, I'm going to take care of all your enemies. You're not going to have any more enemies. I'm going to take care of all those, and I'm going to do it by giving you and leading your people through by an angel. This angel is going to go with you, but I'm not going to go with you. And even the Lord not going with Israel is an act of God's grace because of their stiff-neckedness, because of their stubbornness, because of their sin, and because of God's holiness. He knew if he dwelt with these people any longer, he would consume them. So for their benefit, the Lord says, I'm going to withhold my presence for you, and you're going to be led and go into the promised land with this angel. Now, this is all, again, this is all an act of God's grace and God's mercy, even though Israel has just rebelled and committed major idolatry in Exodus chapter 32. But when you stop to think about God's goodness and His grace in this situation and everything that Israel is getting, you might stop and think like, hey, this isn't so bad. This isn't so bad after all, right? I mean, think about it. Israel still gets the promised land, still gets blessed, still gets to live in this beautiful place with all the abundance. All the enemies are being taken care of, and they're still being guided by this angel. And no, it's not the Lord, and the Lord's not going to come with them, which is, which is kind of a bummer, but they still get all the good gifts of the Lord. So at face value, it looks like it's not so bad. I mean, how many of you be tempted to take that deal? As I was reading this, I was like, man, I'd be tempted to take this deal. But at first, it does sound pretty good. But in the long run, we see that actually it would be disastrous. Well, why? This is the way Jesus put it in Mark 8, 36. He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Now, in this context, we know that this is talking about gaining short-term rewards, good gifts here on earth, and pleasures, and then for forfeiting your eternal life, your, your, your soul, and forfeiting eternal life. But I think the principle is still the same. Both, you see, is we get the good gifts from God the Father without God. You see, the, the greatest joy that we get with eternal life is not what we talked about even last week, how He's reversed the curse. Yes, we get everlasting life. Yes, there's no more sin. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. It is eternal joy. The greatest gift we get about heaven is we get God. The, the Lord's presence is there. That's the greatest thing we get about heaven. 
And so what we see here is we see that even gaining all the promises and the good gifts of God without God has short-term benefit. In the long run, it is disastrous. And it will leave our souls wanting and longing more. We will be unsatisfied. Because again, all the stuff in the world will not satisfy our deepest longing in our hearts and in our souls. Our deepest longing, our deepest desire can only be satisfied by the presence of God. By God Himself. Whether on earth or even in heaven. Our greatest need is we need God with us. And that's what makes heaven so awesome because God is there. And the deepest longings of our souls will and can, again, only be satisfied by Him and it will be for eternity. Then everything else we get is just icing on the cake. I mean, think about it. What what, what does a culture look like that has all the gifts, the good gifts of God, but they don't have His presence? Can you think of what a culture, what culture we might think of? I think immediately I go to Hollywood. I go to the entertainment industry. You can, you can turn on the TV and watch these biographies on these actresses, these actors, these, you know, these titans in the, the business industry, sports, at, these athletes, rich and famous people from all walks of life. They, they have all the bennies of God. They got money. They got fame. They got the good looks, right? They seem they got the strength. But what do you generally see in their lives? You see a short-term happiness. But as you see their stories unfold, by the time they get to the end of their life, you see it's been a life of suffering, multiple failed relationships, broken marriages, bitterness, emptiness, and ultimate loneliness. So Israel rightly called it They can gain all the good gifts from God, but without God, it is a disastrous word and terrible news. And it's the same for you and me. We could get, again, all the good gifts that God gives people, yet without God, it is disastrous news. That takes us to the second point, which is better news, better news. The Lord has not yet left. Exodus 33, 7 through 11. Look at verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meetings. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meetings, which was outside the camp. Again, notice where God's presence is. It is outside the camp. It is far from the camp. Again, it is outside the camp. God is is making a, a very poignant point. My presence is outside the nation of Israel. It is dwelling with Moses in his own personal tent. No longer with the nation of Israel. I mean, you can see this scene. The, the, the people, would, you could just you see them waiting for them to see the pillar of cloud to come over and to come over Moses' tent. At that moment, they knew that the Lord's presence was now with them. Again, they just spent weeks being led and guided by the Lord's presence, the, the pillar of flower, fire by night, the, the pillar of cloud during the day. Moses, I mean, uh, God was dwelling with His people. They just gave them these, these great plans for the, to build this temple in the center of their nation. That were, This is where the presence of the Lord would be, but now it is no longer. 
It seems like those plans might have been scrapped, and now the Lord only dwells with the one person on earth he has favor with, and that is Moses. So the people would constantly be looking in Moses' direction, where Moses' tent is, and just waiting and seeing if the Lord would ever visit Moses. And all of a sudden, when they see that big pillar of cloud come, they would go out of their tents. So they go back into their tents, and they would start to worship the Lord because they knew right then and there, even though the Lord was outside, the tent, uh, outside their camp, He was around. He was with them. He hasn't left yet. And they saw what was going on outside of Moses' tents. They were outsiders looking, trying to look in. Now verses 9 through 11 are some of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And I don't know about you, but if you had a pen, a marker, a highlighter, I would circle verses 9 through 11. They are some of the most incredible verses in all the Bible. Look at what verse 9 says. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And so we, the, the nation of Israel, they're looking outside. They're looking at Moses. They're looking at this, this cloud. And they see Moses go in the tent, and they know that he is meeting with the Lord. Verses 9 and 11 take us inside the tent. They take us behind the scenes, so to speak. Now, I don't know about you, but I love watching these documentaries when they go behind the scenes. In particular, for me, it's, it's when it's behind the scenes with, with sports teams or athletes, right? Because what, what it does to me, one, it just kind of brings back some good memories of me when I was behind the scenes in the locker room and, and hanging with, with the boys. It brought, brings back a lot of good memories. But the, the reason why I love it is because... It takes us, again, behind the scenes. It, it, it peels back the veil where we get to see more than what happens on the field. It takes us off the field and what happens in the locker room. It takes us to their, to their homes, to the practice facilities. It takes us to see how hard these guys work and what they have to go through to go out and perform on the field. It takes us to their homes and see the relational dynamics between them and their wives and their kids, and how the, how the wives are usually the rock behind these, these men. When we think of these athletes, when we think of them, we think, I mean, these are, these are dudes, these are rough men, and, 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 and they are. But you, you, get the, you get the peel back and you see how vulnerable they, they actually are. And you see how their wives come around them and encourage them and, and just, just bless them and love on them. You see how they start to roll around on the floor with their kids. You just, you just see them as they are. You get behind the scenes. I just finished this great series on the New Zealand All Blacks called All or Nothing. And it was awesome. It was awesome to see all these, these events that happen behind the scenes. But as awesome as the All Blacks show was and all the other shows, it, nothing compares to the behind-the-scenes footage we see that's happening in Moses' tent in verses 9 and 11. Look at verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks to his friend. Just think about that for a second. Marinate in that for a second. Don't, Don't pass over that too quickly. The Lord used to speak to Moses. Moses is writing this as he's looking back. Used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. This is one of the most intimate, one of the most personal, one of the most authentic verses in all the Bible. 
Now, obviously, when it says they, they spoke face-to-face, it doesn't mean that God took physical form because we know God is spirit. But what it means, what they're highlighting, is he, they talked plainly. They, they had normal conversations, as we do with one another, as you do with your friends. It's incredible. Think about it. It's the morning. Cloud comes down. The Lord meets Moses. Hey, Moses, how'd you, how'd you sleep last night? Did you sleep all right last night? Were you a little afraid of the dark, you know? Or did you, did you have a good sleep? How about that sunset? Did you catch that sunset last night over Mount Sinai? How, how awesome was that? Was that pretty cool? How about the, how about the Colorado Avalanche this year? You know, yeah. They got a chance to win the Stanley Cup. What do you think, Moses? They're looking pretty good, right? I mean, this is the kind of dialogue that the, the Moses and the Lord are having. Or maybe even something like this. Hey, how are you doing after... The golden calf incident. How's your emotions right now? You still angry? Still frustrated? How are you doing, Moses? I mean, just marinate in this verse. Think about it. Is there anything more amazing than sitting in Moses' tent and having a conversation with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? It's an incredible thought. Now, here's what's even cooler we have that access. We have that access with the Lord through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because of His life, because of His death, because of His resurrection, we have access to the throne of grace. And not only that, we live in the new new covenant. We don't have to go looking for Moses' tent for the presence of God. You and I are the tent. 1 Corinthians says that our bodies are the temple of God. This is where God dwells through the Holy Spirit. And because of this, we can... We can talk to the Lord every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and 366 would leave here. Amen? We don't have, again, wait for the Lord to come down. We have instant access to Him. But as amazing as that is, I don't know about you, but I've never had any audible back and forth conversations with the Lord. Anyone else on a consistent basis? Anyone else in here? Yeah, no, no, no one. That doesn't seem to be the norm. It, it seems, even though prayer is a great gift, it's a, it's a, right now it's a one-way conversation. It's us talking to the Lord, but He's listening, He's hearing, and He'll answer us. But this is why I long for heaven so much more. Because I long to have that experience with Moses, don't you? That we will be in heaven with the Lord, and we will be able to have these conversations as a friend. Just like the conversations I get to have with Eric Bros in our journey group on Thursday mornings. Or when Drew and I go hunting, we take our, our truck, we have those long journeys. We, we're just talking as a friend. Or when Rita and I go out on our date nights and we just, have, we just talk. We just talk. I long for that. Don't you long for that? Don't you long for that? But even now, how, how do you converse with the Lord in prayer? How do you converse with the Lord in prayer? I've been around a lot of men, a lot of women in prayer meetings and and even on one-on-one events that, that I struggle with sometimes because they always seem to be yelling at the Lord, screaming at the Lord, right? You know the kind of people I'm talking about? You're in a prayer meeting, all of a sudden someone starts to pray and their octaves just go up and up and up and up and up. And, and you know, it kind of, it, for me personally, it kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. Now, I mean, I understand about passion. I understand, you know, people have emotion. And I'm not, not knocking that. But when it's every single time at this, this octave where it sounds like they're always yelling at them, it just makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm like, dude, bro, you know, like the Lord's not deaf, man. You know, it's like he can hear you. Just, just talk to him normally. 
Talk to him as a friend. Or maybe I know some people that just pray to the Lord like he's an EMT, right? Some big emergency situation happens up, and they just throw up the SOS prayers. Or maybe even some talk, pray to him and talk to him as a, as a judge. You just sin, and all of a sudden you're, you're, just, you're just making excuse of all the reasons why that you made that sin. How, how do you converse with the Lord? Let this verse encourage you this morning. Let this verse help set the tone and the tempo and how, uh, the tempo and how you converse with the Lord. That the King of heaven and earth, the one that spoke and created you, the one that knows every hair on your head, that He just wants to converse with you as a friend in normal conversation. And for us, this is, this is better news, but it gets even greater. Look at Exodus 33, 12 through 23. And here we see the greatest news. The greatest news that the Lord will indeed be with us. He's not going to go. His presence hasn't left. But now the Lord will go with us. In verses 12 through 16, Moses again is interceding for the nation of Israel. And he says, I'm not going anywhere without my people. We're not going into the promised land without my people. But even more importantly than that, I'm not going to the promised land without you, Lord. Because I understand if I gain the, again, just the benefits of all the good gifts you have, I'm still going to be wanting and longing. There's short-term benefits in that. I want long-lasting joy and pleasure, and that only comes from you. Hey, thanks for sending your angel. I'm sure this, this, this angel is a great angel, right? I'm sure he graduated with honors from the University of, of Angel in heaven, right? from Angel University. I'm sure he's a solid angel, but I don't know him, and he doesn't know me. Therefore, I don't, I don't want to go with him. I want to go with you. Therefore, Lord, if I found favor in your sight, circle that word favor. He uses it four times. If I have found favor in your sight, Lord, then please go with me. But not only go with me, go with us. This is your people. Come with us. And then Moses in verse 16 really brings it home. He closes the deal where he says this. Look at verse 16. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? And your people from every other people on the face of the earth. This is, the, this is the way Moses closes it. He points out, the only way that we're going to be a distinct people group is if your presence is with us constantly. That's what makes us different than every other nation. So if you don't go, then we're just going to look like every other nation. But if you go, there's going to, see, there's going to be a distinction among the nation Israel from all the surrounding areas. And that distinction is your presence, is you are with us. And it's the same for you and me. The same for you and me. What separates us apart from other non-Christians is the presence of the Lord in our lives. It's not our homes. It's not our cars. It's not how we dress. It's not what jobs we have. or It's not our money. It's not our struggles or our success. Non-Christians have the same things when it comes to all this stuff. The difference between you and your non-Christian friends is the presence of the Lord in your life in every area of your life. It's the same with me. That is the distinction that separates us from those around us. So we repented, we trusted in Christ's life, death, and His resurrection. Then He sends us the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to guide us and direct us. And because the Lord now dwells with us, 
because we are informed by His Word, then the way we do live changes and is distinct. The, the way we do dress, the way we do talk, the way we do spend our money, the way we do work at our job changes. The way we do walk through a pandemic changes because the Lord is with us. The Lord is with you. The Lord makes a difference. And that is the distinction between us and our non-Christian friends. There's many illustrations that I could give you, but I want to give you this. I want to give you some statistics in dealing with men. Because we often hear these, these statistics out there in the world that, that Christians get the same you know, divorce rate as non-Christians. And we see that, that even, there's even some studies out there that, that Christian men are more domineering. They're more abusive. right? Because they, they, they just throw out these surveys that aren't very distinct in their questioning. And so this guy named Bradford Wilcox, he's a sociologist at the University of Virginia, has done one of the most comprehensive studies in this. And one of the distinctions he had in answering these questions for men is, do you believe the Bible is God's Word? Check. Do you believe there's sin? Check. Do you believe Jesus is the Savior? Check. And here's the other one. Do you consistently gather in community, go to church, go to life group consistently. Is that a pattern of your life? Check. Not just like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, when's the last time you've opened your Bible? When's the last time you've prayed? When's the last time you've been in church? All oh, about five years. That's a whole different category, but that's the category of men. These other surveys have been used. So here he's, he's being distinct on some, some critical characteristics of what a Christian is. And this is the outcome. God's presence makes a difference. There's a whole couple books on this. This is what he says. Conservative Protestant men, men who love Jesus, men who open their Bible, men who consistently attend church and are in community. That's why ladies, man school for your spouses is so important. This is what it says. This is what he found. Conservative Protestant men spend more times with their children they are more likely to hug and praise their children. Their wives report higher levels of satisfaction with appreciation, affection, and understanding that they receive from their husbands. And they spend more time socializing with their wives. And then he says this also, these family men are constantly the most active and emotionally engaged group of fathers and the most emotional and engaged group of husbands in this study. Jesus makes a difference. Amen? And this is what we see. The Lord hears Moses' intercession and is pleased with him. And he says this in verse 14. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And that brings us to verses 17 through 23. And here we have some of the most familiar passages in the Old Testament for many of us who've been in the church. Verse 17 says, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Again, there's that relationship there. There's that favor there. There's that presence of the Lord is with Moses. And at this point, put yourself in Moses' shoes. Moses said, Hey, Lord, we, ain't, we, we can't go to the promised land. I mean, thank you for all the good gifts, but we can't go to the promised land unless you're going to come with us. Are you coming with us? Yeah, Moses, I, I, I like you. You found favor in my sight, so I'm going to go with you. 
I'd be like, cool, I'm, I'm good, right? I'm done. I don't, need to, I don't need to intercede anymore. But not Moses. He has another request. He's feeling it. So he's going to take a step, an extra step. He's feeling good with the Lord. And he says this, verse 18, Lord, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. Spurgeon says this is the greatest petition that any man has ever asked of God. Show me your glory. And look how quickly the Lord responds. He says, you bet, Moses, it'll be my joy to show you my glory. I'm going to show you my goodness. Again, using figure of speech, anthropomorphisms, we call it. He uses a language in which we can understand and gives an illustration. He says, now I can't show you my face because you'll die. It's just too glorious for, for any human to behold. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to put you in this, this cleft of the rock. I'm going to put you literally in this cave. And then I'm going, to, I'm going to show you my backside. I'm going to pass before you. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a glimpse of my glory. Now think about this again with Moses. Think about what Moses has already seen. Think about the glory of God that Moses has already seen and personally experienced in his life since we've been looking at this journey from Egypt. He, he, he's seen uh, this burning bush that's burning yet not consumed, and he talked with the Lord. He, he's experienced the glory of God and how God has rescued him. He's re redeemed them from Egypt with all the plagues and all the miracles that God did. How he parted the Red Sea. Then he closed it down again on Egypt. He beheld the, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, leading and guiding and directing. He's experienced God's glory in so many different ways. Wouldn't that be enough? Wouldn't that be enough for you? For me? And yet Moses wasn't enough. He longed to see more. He longed to see more. He wanted to experience God's glory even that much more. And it goes, the question is like, how about with you? How about with me? Are you satisfied by just making it to heaven? Are you satisfied? Or, or is there a longing? Is there a desire? Is the gospel so glorious to you that it's like, if he would do this for me in my state, how much more will he do? How much more can I experience more of his goodness, his grace, and of his glory? I mean, that's, the, that's, what I'm, that's what Moses is saying here. Now, when we, we read that, we think, I think we miss a little bit of, of what the Lord is really trying to grab, point out in this passage. Because when we think about the, God's glory, we think about, well, Moses, he got to tuck him away because it's so glorious. And like if he saw this light or whatever it was, that he'd be consumed. And we think, man, that's incredible. But Look again on how the Lord manifests His glory. The emphasis isn't so much on this bright light. It's on His character and on His words. Look at Exodus 19. And He said, the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. The way the Lord primarily displays His glory, manifests His glory, is by preaching a mini-sermon to Moses. And ultimately, it highlights His character. Ultimately, it highlights God's mercy and grace. That's 
where God's glory is being shown here. That's the pinnacle of God's glory from the Lord to Moses. Is he, he says, hey, Moses, look at me and my character and hear my words. It's the Lord's message that focuses on God's sovereign free grace. Paul also talks about this in Romans 9 when he's talking about the doctrine of election. This is where God's glory is on display, where it's the brightest in God saving sinful men and women. God's sovereign and free grace. And here's the deal. If you're a Christian this morning, if you've, if you've heard the gospel, if you repented of your sins and you've trusted in Christ then you have experienced what Moses is experiencing in this tent. You are experiencing the glory of God, but even fuller because you're experiencing it through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is how Paul explains it in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in the hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Doesn't get any much glorious than that, than the gospel and God exercising His free and sovereign grace on you and on your soul. What a truth for us this morning. We have the very glory of God with us because we are in Christ because of what Christ has done for you and for me. We are no longer on the outside looking at the tent of where the presence of God is and what's happening on the inside. We are on the inside of God and experiencing His sovereign grace and mercy each and every day. It's an incredible thought. It's an incredible thought that you and I have that brings us hope and joy. Let me close with this. One day a man was walking through a graveyard and he's looking at the grave, you know, stones, tombstones. They they all had their little sayings and, you know, some have some scripture verses, some have their little, you know, sayings on there. But he comes to this one that just has this one word and it says, satisfied, satisfied. And he thought, okay, that's interesting. What, what, What makes this person in the grave put this on his tombstone? Why is he satisfied being dead? And below it, it did have a scripture. It didn't have it written out, but it just had the, the title. It was Psalm 1715. Who, who knows Psalm 1715 in here? Okay, I was the same way. Like, I don't know Psalm 1715. I got to look it up. So I looked up Psalm 1715, and this is what it said. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness, talking to the Lord. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. You see, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, Psalm 1715 is for you and for me. Again, when we, when we die, we're just, again, death is just that door that we pass through to enter into God's presence, and we get to see, behold, the face of righteousness. And when we do that, we will be totally satisfied. Because when we die, we will experience something at the very core of our souls we long for today, that we desire now, that won't be fulfilled until that day when we see Him face to face, when we're in the presence of God. It is then we will be totally satisfied. 
And when that day happens, we will have the joy and the satisfaction that we've never experienced before. And the great news is it will last for all eternity. I'll give you one more psalm. Psalm 1611. You have made known the path of life. In your presence is what? Fullness of joy. And at your right hand are what? Pleasures forever. This is what Exodus 33 is pointing us to. This is what we experience right now. We experience God's glory. And we experience by having His presence dwell with us now and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this great passage. Lord, it's an incredible, incredible passage. One that encouraged my soul in ways that I haven't been encouraged in, in, in many, many years. And it all is because that Emmanuel is with us. God is with us. You are with us. Lord, it gives me a hope and a future for whatever the world throws at us over the coming weeks and the coming months and the coming years. We know, as the children of Israel knows, that since you are with us, whatever comes our way is not disastrous news because you are with us. That we can stand firm on the rock and we can have hope, we can have assurance, we can have peace, and we can have security because we are in the sheephole and we have the very presence of God, you with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.